Well, we're going to read from the Bible together now, and we're going to turn to the book of Daniel and to Daniel chapter 9. Uh, you'll find our reading on pages 746 over into 747 of the Pew Bibles. Uh, we're going to read this entire chapter uh, as we have done over the past few weeks. We've been reading whole chapters, um, another long chapter, 27 verses. And a word of warning, I'm going to say this in more detail later on, but verses 24 to 27 are probably the most difficult verses to interpret in Daniel and also in the Old Testament. So lots of fun ahead tonight. Um, Daniel chapter 9, we're going to read the whole chapter together, pages 746 and then 747. And as we read, we remember that this is the Lord's word to us. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descendant a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books of the numbers of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with, fa with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord, our God, belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, our God, by walking in his laws, which he has set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been, any, has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it, brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O Lord our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his place for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord, Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh my God, incline your ear and hear. 
Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is, who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to, to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this evening. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 9. Uh, you'll find that chapter on pages 745 uh, 746 of the Pew Bibles. Uh, as we begin tonight, I have some good news for you, and I've got some bad news for you. Let me start with the good news. The good news is that we are nearly finished Daniel. Uh, we'll probably only have one more evening on it. We've moved through chapters 1 to 6 with relative ease. From chapter 7 on, it has been <laughs> slightly more difficult. Uh, to finish this series, we'll probably need to do a broad sweep of chapters 10 through to 12. Therefore, I need to set you a little bit of homework during the time that I'm off. It would be very helpful if you took the time to read chapters 10 through 12 before we look at that section together. Quite a long section, and if you read it before we look at it, that'll really help me and really help you. I, I have been assuming, probably in quite an unsaid way, that I haven't ex- in that I haven't explicitly told you to do this, that you've been reading Daniel before, during, and after our services um, We know, we all know that we shouldn't just dip into the Bible for 20 minutes or 40 minutes if we come to the evening service, 20 minutes, 40 minutes a week. We should be reading it ourselves all through the week and in a sense preparing ourselves for worship. So that's the good news then. We are nearly finished, Daniel. (laughs) The bad news is that this chapter is more complicated than chapter 8 was last week. Verses 1 to 19 are pretty straightforward, but verses 24 to 27 are the most complicated verses in Daniel, possibly even the, old, the, the whole Old Testament. 
Now, I know that last week was pretty intense. I had a strange experience in that I went home with a sore head after preaching on Daniel 8. So it was kind of weird that I had a sore head. I don't know about you. I don't know what that says for the rest of you who had to listen to the sermon. But hopefully, hopefully I won't need paracetamol tonight and hopefully you won't either. We do have quite a lot to cover this evening. So let me just explain how we're going to do it. I need to say a little bit about the context of this chapter. Then we're going to use two points to understand it. And we're going to run through verses 1 to 19. And then we'll try and get a bit of a basic understanding of verses 24 to 27. So that's where we're going tonight. Let's get started. And let's, first of all, talk about the context of this passage. And the context, of course, is the vision of chapter 8. Last week, we saw that God pulled back the curtain for Daniel, so to speak, so that he could see something of the battle between good and evil. Daniel saw the darkness that was going to be experienced by God's people, and we talked about how that was fulfilled. We're not going to go over all those details again this evening. A throwaway line that I had scribbled down on my notes just before I preached last week was that chapter 8 was part of the reason for Daniel being a man of prayer. Daniel saw the powers of darkness attacking the people of God, And he came to the realization that he could do nothing other than trust the Lord and depend on him in prayer. With that context in mind, the beginning of chapter 9 tells us that Daniel is having his quiet time. In verses 1 and 2, we read that he's sitting reading the scriptures. Specifically, he's reading the prophet Jeremiah. Now, we need to just hit the pause button for a moment and see something really important. Daniel says that he was sitting reading the prophet Jeremiah, and he says that it is the word of the Lord. In other words, it's the scriptures. What Daniel is doing is that he's acknowledging the inspiration and the authority of the writings of a fellow prophet as part of a wider canon of of inspired writings little more than a generation after they were written. So Daniel's reading Jeremiah and he says, this is the Lord's word, this is the scriptures. And in doing that, Daniel provides us with an example of how to approach his visions. He was reading Jeremiah, which was the word of the Lord. We are reading Daniel's visions, and it is the word of the Lord. So this passage, and chapter 8, before it, chapter 7, so on, is not just an interesting or informative ancient text. It is nothing less than the word of God. We need to remember that as we unpick this chapter, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith says that all things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. There will be things later on that you will struggle to understand. I have struggled to understand them, but this is the Lord's word to us this evening, and we have to treat it as such. With that said, we hit the play button and we keep going. Verses one and two tell us that Daniel is reading Jeremiah. He, he was reading Jeremiah 25, 11 and 12, which is a section about the desolation of Jerusalem and of how it would last 70 years. Let me just read the verses from Jeremiah that Daniel was reading. If you want to flick to these verses in your pew Bibles, you'll find them at the bottom of page 652 and the top of 653. We don't often do cross-references, but it might be helpful for you just to flick back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 25, 11 and 12, bottom of page 652, top of page 653. Jeremiah says this he says this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste and these nations shall serve the king of babylon 70 years then after 70 years are completed i will punish the king of babylon and that nation 
the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. So what is happening here in these prophecies, Jeremiah announced that the Lord's plan was to subject his people to Babylon for 70 years for their sins. So the people of Israel are going into exile in Babylon for 70 years. And at the end of that time, God would act to judge the Babylonians and bring his people home. What would have triggered Daniel's interest in this prophecy was probably the overthrow of the Babylonian Empire by the Medes and Persians. King Belshazzar was killed, you'll remember. Darius took over. Verse 1 of Daniel 9 tells us that the events of this chapter happened in the first year of Darius's reign. It was apparent to Daniel that God was now judging the king of Babylon and his nation just as he had promised. And although it wasn't quite 70 years since the destruction of Judah, Daniel began to pray with greater intensity for the fulfillment of the second half of Jeremiah's prophecy, the restoration of God's people to his land. Now, Daniel probably prayed this prayer quite a lot. It wasn't a new prayer in that sense. In Daniel 6, we read of how Daniel prayed three times a day and of how he looked towards Jerusalem as he prayed. That's a detail that's often missed. He, he looked towards Jerusalem and he prayed. But it tells us that Daniel would have been praying the Lord would bring his people home. He's looking towards Jerusalem and he's praying that God would bring the exiles back to where they were from. And having read the prophet Jeremiah, Daniel then has a dedicated time of prayer himself. If you see in verse 3, it says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleased for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And what follows is Daniel's prayer, and it is one of the great prayers in the scriptures. There are lots of great prayers. Think of Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2, David's prayer in Psalm 53. Daniel's prayer here is in the same league. Uh, we're going to look at, at the prayer together now very quickly, quicker than I would like. But as we do that, we need to see that Daniel prays on behalf of the people of God. It is a corporate prayer. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel are the people of God. In the New Testament, the church is the people of God. When we read the stories about Israel, we are to read them as the church and apply them as such. And I say that because of our two points this evening. Daniel, Daniel 9 tells us two things. It tells us how the church is to pray and it tells us who the church is to look to. Let's have a look at Daniel's prayer first of all then. And as we look at it, we'll see how the church is to pray. As we look at this prayer, we'll be helped by three subpoints. Now, you know my style well enough to know that I don't do subpoints very often, but they will help us tonight because they'll keep us focused and they'll help us to move through this prayer quickly. The subpoints will also be on the screen for us. First of all, as Daniel prays, he appeals to the mercy of God. The first thing Daniel does is realize and acknowledge who God is. And the focus of Daniel's acknowledgement was on God's mercy. Look at how he describes or speaks of God in these verses. The Lord is the great and awesome God, verse 4. He is righteous, verses 7 and 14. He is the one who brought his people out of Egypt, verse 15. He keeps his covenant of love, verse 4. He's merciful and forgiving, verse 9. So Daniel appeals to the mercy of God. And having done that, second sub-point, Daniel confesses the sins of the people of God. Let's read verses 5 and 6 
and then verses 10 and 11. Daniel prays, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers, and to all the people of the land, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. There's a contrast to play between the Lord and his people. Throughout his prayer, Daniel uses word pairs. He calls God great and awesome, righteous and forgiving. Meanwhile, Israel has sinned and done wrong and has been wicked and has rebelled. The contrast couldn't be starker between the faithful and holy God on the one hand, who is true to all of his promises, and his faithless and unholy people who have broken all of their commitments and rebelled against him. Daniel confesses the sins of the people of God and he acknowledges the justice of God's judgment, severe though it had been. Exile had been a painful thing for the people of God. But Daniel acknowledges the justice of God's judgment. It's very striking that he doesn't make excuses for Israel. He doesn't say, God, I'm sorry that we did all this. We were under pressure though. And it seemed like a good idea at the time and you were a little bit too cross and you took it all too seriously and really all of this is actually your fault. doesn't say any of that. Daniel knew full well that God's people fully deserved what had come upon them and so he confesses their sin. He confesses on a corporate level on behalf of his own people. Having appealed to the mercy of God, having confessed the sins of the people of God, Daniel thirdly appeals to God for the sake of his own glory. In the book of Deuteronomy, we're told about the judgment that was promised if Israel disobeyed God. But Deuteronomy also speaks of the promise of a new and gracious beginning for Israel beyond sin and judgment. God promised to restore his people's fortunes following their repentance. And this is the response from God that Daniel prayed for. In verse 17, he asks that God would hear his prayer and show favor to his desolate sanctuary, bringing the exile to an end. Daniel didn't pray this because of any goodness in himself or, or his people. He prayed it simply because of God's commitment to the glory of his own name. Look at verse 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Daniel appeals to the mercy of God. He confesses the sins of the people of God and he appeals to God for the sake of his own glory. Now that's all we're gonna say about Daniel's prayer. You would find it really helpful to go through it in more detail yourself. But let me give you the big application of his prayer for us. This is the kind of prayer that the church needs to be praying today. If we desire the blessing and favor of God, if we desire that God would work in our nation and in our land and in our hearts, the work needs to start with us. Daniel shows us how the church is to pray. The thing is, his prayer is not the way we pray. We so easily forget God's greatness. And in doing so, we make our prayers small. We don't pray very often for remarkable demonstrations of God's power in our church. And we also so easily forget God's grace. We're often tempted to think that we are beyond fixing. 
that God will have nothing more to do with sinners like us. But reminding ourselves of what Daniel talks about here, our sin, but also the wideness of God's mercy, will drive us to our knees in thanksgiving and confession and fervent prayer. In preparation for holidays, I had a bit of a clear out of books. I stumbled upon one that I have by E.M. Bounds. Some of you will know that name. He's written a couple of classic works on prayer. And in the opening part of his book on, uh, called The Power of Prayer, he says this. He says, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men and women whom the Holy Spirit can use, men and women of prayer. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more nov- new, more, more, or more, no, more and novel methods, but men and women whom the Holy Spirit can use, men and women of prayer. If we desire the blessing and favor of God, if we desire that God would work in our nation and, on, and in our land again, the work needs to start with us. Daniel shows us how the church is to pray. Second thing we see in this passage is who the church is to look to. Uh, We come now to the complicated bit. Uh, You'll see in verses 20 to 23 that Daniel gets a very quick answer to his prayer. Uh, While he was speaking and praying, the angel Gabriel appeared before him. Uh, Gabriel says that he has come to give Daniel insight and understanding following his prayer. Gabriel then relays a vision to Daniel in verses 24 to 27. Now, before I try and explain these verses, let me again say this. Daniel's prayer, easy to understand. God's response of the 70 weeks is another matter. Daniel 9, 24 to 27 is like entering a maze. There are so many choices or ways to take, so many blind alleys and so many dead ends. In AD 400, the brilliant church father, Jerome, simply listed nine different opinions of the great teachers of the church on this text, and he left it to the reader's judgment as to whose explanation was right. And that was before all of the modern methods of interpretation as well. So I'm going to give this a go, but I reserve the right to change my mind because these verses are very difficult to understand. Let me try and walk you through verses 24 to 27. Verse 24 says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. The 70 weeks of verse 24 is a period of 490 years. And these 70 70 weeks are divided into three periods of time. So seven weeks, that's mentioned in verse 25, and that's a period of 49 years. 62 weeks, also verse 25, that's a period of 434 years. And then one week, that's mentioned in verse 27, and that's a period of seven years. So 70 weeks, 490 years, and then it's split into three, seven weeks, 62 weeks, and one week. Seven weeks equals 49 years, 62 weeks equals 434 years, and one week equals seven years. These time periods were specified so that Daniel might have insight and understanding and know the length of time involved. What's important, what's important is that there is no gap anywhere. Some people say there's a gap between week 69 and week 70, but there's no gap. You can't see a gap in the text, no mention of a gap. So we are saying there is no gap. Each time period follows after each other without stopping. These verses talk about a period of 490 years 
split into three sections with no gap. So remember that, no gap. Verse 25, verse 25 might be a reference to Artaxerxes rebuilding the temple in Nehemiah 2, but it might not be. Not sure about that one. In verse 24, we're told about six things to be accomplished during the 490 years. Uh, You'll see verse 24, finish the transgression, put an end to sin, atone for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal both vision and profit, and anoint a most holy place. All of those things were fulfilled in the first century. After the seven weeks and the 62 weeks, during the 70th week, the Messiah or the anointed one will be cut off. That's verse 26. Still verse 26, after the Messiah is cut off, the city of Jerusalem and the sanctuary are destroyed. So that is speaking about the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. Verse 26 doesn't say that this happens in the 70th week. Verse 27 speaks about one week. Remember that amounts to seven years. We're told for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. The he is the Messiah. The half week refers to three and a half years, the period of time when Jesus ministered to Israel, to the Jews, and was cut off, was crucified. The other half, the other three and a half years, refers to the ministry of the church to the Jews. And that's spoken of in the book of Acts. The ministry of the church starts in Judea, moves into Samaria, and then goes to the ends of the earth. Final thing to say about these verses is that Daniel doesn't say anything about an event marking the end of the 70th week. And that is where I think I land on those verses. Uh, If we were to try and be any more specific, uh, we would probably be, one, here for 70 weeks, and two, need some ibuprofen, never mind paracetamol. Uh, We are nearly done, but let me finish by summarizing verses 24 to 27 because you can't actually summarize them. And once you hear the summary, you'll maybe think, well, why didn't you just give us that instead of all that other stuff? Well, here's the summary. Verses 24 to 27 are looking ahead to Jesus' death. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one who will be cut off, cut off from God as he hangs on the cross. And they're also looking ahead to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Those are the two big and unmissable events being prophesied. The cutting off of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, and the destruction of the temple. The application for us today is that just as Daniel and the people of Israel had to live in a waiting period before the first coming of Christ, we in the church live in a waiting period before the second coming of Christ. And as we live waiting for Jesus' return, we are to be marked by the graces that Daniel shows in the first part of the chapter. We are to pray and to appeal to the mercy of God, to confess our sins and appeal to God for the sake of his own glory. And we're to look to Jesus. That is who the church is to look to. That is who we are to look to. Jesus, our saviour, the one who was cut off so that we might be welcomed in, the one who put an end to sacrifices in the temple, the one who alone atones for our sins and provides us with his righteousness. To circle back to something we said at the beginning, Daniel was reading Jeremiah, which is the word of the Lord. And we are reading Daniel's visions and it is the word of the Lord. 
But we have more insight and understanding than Daniel had when he had this vision. He asks the angel for insight and understanding, but we have more insight and understanding than he did. We are now on the other side of the cross and we are able to look back and see how all of this has worked out. We can't unpack the specific details, but we can see the big picture. Jesus has come and he has been cut off and through his cutting off, through his death, we can be welcomed in. And the question tonight is, are we looking to him? Are we living for him? To return to what we thought about this morning, are, are we fleeing from sin and pursuing righteousness? Are we looking to Jesus as our sustainer and guide? And if you haven't trusted him, the question is, will you look to him? Will you turn to him? Will you put your hope and trust in the one who was cut off so that you could be welcomed in? Daniel 9 is a complicated chapter. You maybe do have a sore head now that we're finished. But in summary, it's a chapter that tells us how the church is to pray and who the church is to look to. Very simply, we're to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we know well that the second half of the book of Daniel is complicated and difficult to understand, but we thank you for our feeble attempt to understand it tonight, and we pray that you would bless your word to our hearts. We take Daniel to be what it is, Daniel 9 to be what it is, your word to us, the word of the Lord, the word of the living God. And so we thank you for this simple reminder of how Jesus was cut off for us for how he was crucified and buried, and for how he rose again from the dead. And Lord, we pray that we would look to Jesus in these days. As your church, we pray that we would be marked by a dependence on you, that we would be marked by repentance to you, and that we would also look to and trust in our Saviour for blessing and guidance in the days that lie ahead. And Father, we pray for those who haven't yet trusted the Saviour, we ask that they would trust him for the first time tonight, even having looked at such a complex and difficult chapter. Father, we thank you for your word. Bless it to all of our hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.